Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Brendan Burns, who I've had on the podcast a couple of times before. We sat in his car in Camden in London and we had a chat about how he dealt with assault as a 14-15-year-old boy. Uh, we talked about defensiveness, gender, race, money, uh, and it was a double pod, which is to say uh, we were going to do his podcast and then my podcast, but he was two hours late due to London traffic, so we ended up just recording one podcast. He's edited it according to his taste, and he's put it up on his channel, which is Dumb White Guy, if you want to look him up and listen to his other work. And I edited it according to my taste, and it's up here. So uh, if you wanted to contact Brendan on Twitter, Brendon Burns, B-R-E-N-D-O-N Burns, uh, on Twitter, and I really enjoyed having a chat with him. He's a very... It's such an interesting exercise in conversation. He's a very determined speaker. He knows exactly where he wants to go with a conversation. So it's a, it's a bit of a wrestle. I always feel like I'm better at conversation after I've had a chat with Brendan. And he bought donuts, which was very kind of him. I have dates coming up in London. If you are in London, I'm doing Old Rope tonight, just a spot. And next Monday, the 12th of February, I will be emceeing Old Rope, which is at the Phoenix at Oxford Circus. I'm doing uh, Friday the 9th of February in Guildford. I'm doing Saturday the 10th of February, a charity gig in King's Cross. Uh, various other gigs, if you follow me on Twitter, at Alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. That's the best place to keep up to date on that. I'm doing The Bugle live on the 22nd of February at Leicester Square Theatre. And I, it's worth giving an extra special shout-out to the Buglers who have been incredibly supportive and lovely and uh, kind and generous and thrown flamingos at me and sent me letters and sent me cards. It's it's sort of a weird feeling to have such a surge of goodwill from such a unified group of people. Um, and when I say weird, I mean good. It's It's been really lovely. Uh, but if you are a bugler who's come across from there, thank you uh, for doing that. I appreciate it. This is not much like the bugle. It is its own thing, um, but I'm glad that you like it. I have, I'm opening Ethos, which is the new solo show, if I get it written, uh, in Adelaide. It'll go from the 3rd to the 18th of March. In Melbourne, from the 29th of March to the 18th of April. I'm doing uh, the 3rd to the 5th of May in Sydney and the 10th to the 12th of May in Perth. I will also be doing a thing, which is a terrifying thing to me. Um, I'm going to be doing the trilogy, all three shows, Savage, The Resistance and Empire, the last three shows that I did, which told a unified story. I'm going to see if I can tell that story as one story, putting the three shows together in one long show. I, it could be a complete disaster. I would love to do it. I really want to do it. I'm, I've managed to talk my management um, into letting me do it, uh, although they're still figuring out how it can be done uh, here and there. But I know that I'm definitely doing it on the 21st of April at 2pm at the Town Hall in Melbourne. And I will be trying to do it in Adelaide. I'll be trying to do it in London. Um, I'm, I'm going to make this happen if I can. I think if it works, it'll be really good. And if it doesn't work, it'll be a worthy failure. <laughs> uh, thank you to my Patreon subscribers. You are... You are the wind beneath my podcast. That sounds pat. It's hard to say thank you in a way that sounds sincere enough to really convey what I mean, but particularly um, to everybody who's come on board in the last couple of months. It's been overwhelming and just just such a wonderful thing. Um, so I want to say personalised thank you to the people who've subscribed in the first week of February from uh, $5 and up. 
Um, so personally, I would like to thank Kimberly, uh, Ben, Jonathan, Roger, who is uh, calls himself Purple King Roger. I don't. I'm not telling anyone else's uh, second names, but I just think that's a great name. Purple King Roger, Ian, Prashant, Angela, Edward, and all the other new subscribers at different levels. It is, it is amazing. It makes a huge difference to my life. I can't tell you. I am telling you, and it's still not conveying um, how how big a deal it is. Uh, I have a new article up there for you if you are a subscriber at any level from zero and up. Um, there's a new article on the weird feeling of knowing exactly where I'll be standing to the metre and the minute in August um, and it's up on Patreon for all of you. If you are subscribed, you can subscribe, I think, as a $0 subscriber if you want to do that. Um, I, I'm, most of the content I put up on there is for that. Um, and then occasionally I'll do $1 posts if it's sort of a, a difficult or meaningful thing that I, I put a lot of effort into. And then video content is $5 and above. Uh, there's also various levels, um, including a Skype conversation with me, if that's something that you would want to do. I don't know what else to say other than thank you. If you don't want to support the podcast in um, financial ways or by subscribing to the Patreon, um, you can just tell your friends about it. You can tweet about it. Uh, if you have friends who you think would like it, um, if you don't mind wasting your social credit on, on tweeting about it, if you want to leave a nice review on iTunes or if you just want to keep listening. Like the listening is such a big deal to me and there's been... Just so much support from the listeners, people who email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com or who just make up the, the number base of people who are listening to this podcast, which has now got to the point where I'm going to have to change platforms, hosting platforms, which is a, uh, it is currently a mild anxiety, but it's a good problem to have. And I wanted to say thank you for giving me that problem. I really appreciate you listening. I'm going to stop being sappy now because otherwise I'll get emotional. But uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. And I will let you actually listen to the podcast, which is with Brendan Burns in a car. You're having tea with Alice. So what's happening is we're sitting in your car. We're talking about things that you are currently doing wrestling with. Uh, my podcast, Tea with Alice, your podcast, Dumb White, uh, Guy. Dumb White Guy. Yeah. And we're doing them together as one unified, mainly because yes. you were late. Classic. I was I was late going to get uh, a donut time donut boots, <laughs> but boots I, I had to go in to get boots um, uh, prescription for my new glasses. Boots like I being... literally could not put that off again. Yes, because they wouldn't give it over the phone, and like a fucking farm boy cunt didn't realise Saturday night into London is, is an extra ninety brutal. minutes. Brutal is brutal. So now we are racing against time in my car. Uh, to try and get an hour done before I have to go on the stage. The car is stationary. We're moving very fast. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is as well is I'm so worried about repeating myself on this show because uh, the very first interview I did with Jen Brister, I kind of needed to s say to her, it's like I am compelled when interviewing a black comedian to let him know where I'm at in level of awareness. Yes. But to try and do that without sounding like a woke cunt. Is a difficult struggle. The conceit itself. Well, the, I mean, it's the, current. It's a, one of the reasons why the left is sort of alienating a lot of its own kind of moderate base is because of that sort of self-satisfied sense of self-righteousness that people don't really necessarily want to associate themselves with. Mm. If they want to, if they want to be kind of considered and measured people, 
when you're presented with a problem or a question or an issue or a seeming injustice, you want to assess whether it's an injustice or not. But because of the way things move so fast now, if you don't jump on something quickly enough or if you don't respond in exactly the right way immediately or if you start to think about it, even the idea that you would need to think about an issue that's so intense marks you as not woke enough. That's why I almost cringed and shrunk a bit when I suggested the premise and you went awesome. And I was like, hey, because I know now that the conceit of dumb white guy was I am going to speak to more black people. Yeah. Right. That's racist. Anyway, you look at it. It's I am speaking to comedians just because they're black. Mm-hmm. But without that micro racism, you wouldn't have solved. I, my perspective would never have changed. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, don't worry too much about the awesome. It was just filler text. It was. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, I'm not white. You know, I'm not white knighting. Yes. But I'm aware that the thing that I know now that I almost feel like the need to speed up is I'm aware of white knights. I know what a white knight is. Yes. And I know what it means to be that. So when I say I'm going to speak to women for a year. There is no part of me that feels self-aggrandizing. I just know that I'm going to be a better person for it. And whilst everyone right now is doing like not all men stuff, like with race, I, rather than going, you keep racist, as you know, like my tendency is when am I racist, right? Mm-hmm. And as I said, when you pull on the thread of the jumper with gender and the, jun- uh, the jumper explodes, the reason it explodes is I've only had to deal with racism since the invention of the boat. Yep. I think we addressed this last time with Craig, didn't we? Yes, we did. We had him. Gender goes that as a guy and as a fairly masculine guy in our industry, even though where I'm from or where we're from, yeah. you know, full well, I'm a fruit, <laughs> screaming fruit. Um, yeah, I'm still a performer. I'm a peacock. and uh, But, you know. British comedy is filled with nothing but fucking beta males. <laughs> if I manage to pull off alpha maledom, that's a that that might tell you something. So, uh, I am now having to try and undo. You know what we did with race off was try and undo the brainwashing of normalising whiteness, but there's a duality here in that there is a hundred thousand years of social preconditioning. And there are biological differences. The and problem is that we don't know which ones are biological, which ones are socialised. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what is the weight of history bearing down on you telling you how to be this kind of person and you don't know what is actually just you. You know, like, I love babies. I, I always have, since I was a ch- tiny, tiny child, is that because I love babies or is that because I'm a woman and some part of my body is telling me to love babies? And you know it's it's almost becoming impossible to ask those questions now yes and or, or even if you're a woman that maybe is attracted to alpha males mm. like alpha maledom is a bad like it's it's got a bad stigma attached to it now yes well because of that kind of what they call toxic masculinity element of that alpha male i've got 20 minutes on that now you got toxic well i mean this is the this is the problem there are traits I, every Every good trait is is the flip side of a bad trait. If somebody has a bad personality characteristic, it's because they're holding on to whatever the flip side of that coin is. You know, if you're if you're powerful, uh, you want to hold on to that, but it can also mean that you are you know intimidating or aggressive or inconsiderate. But you're not going to let go of your power because the power has its benefits. True, but like I was raised in an environment where, again, forgive me if it sounds like shtick, 
I'm going to stop saying that now. It's okay. I will just blanket forgiveness if it sounds like shtick. Uh, yeah. It's not shtick to my audience. They haven't heard you since you were on with Craig Quarterman. Yes. So, Which was a different shtick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is... My the things that are being branded as masculine and toxic masculinity, as a guy that feels compelled to defend masculinity, I don't associate them with masculinity whatsoever. A bloke jerking off in a park, no one goes, "Wow, look, there's a man's man." Uh, a guy, you know, a guy running into a building with uh, into a pop concert, right? And how old do I sound there? You know, leaving a fucking bomb. That's a wuss move. I've always associated masculinity. The point of masculinity is to make the vulnerable feel safe mm. and the predatory worried. That's yes, but then your idea of who the predator is and who the vulnerable are are you know dictated by your environment, right? So if you think that the vulnerable are, is your religion, then the predatory is the West. Then it seems sensible to go into a you know into a pop concert and kill children. Wow, it's it is the same. It's God, I was so busy patting myself on the back for wording that that way. And the fact that you've said every good trait is just flippable, you flip that. <laughs> I'm already, my the bit's already going to be better for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. But yeah, it is, it is, it is a thing. Like it is, it's one of the lovely things about men is that they want to protect people people whether or not that's biological or socialized let's put that aside that they feel compelled to protect someone but by definition saying i'm going to protect you means i am stronger than you and better than you uh not protect make the vulnerable feel safe make them feel safe but how is the predatory worried but that sort of implies or or sort of there's a background to me is not a masculine trait no, but sorting a, a bully out is. But making the vulnerable feel safe and making the predatory feel afraid is inherently violent. Like there's a violence behind that. Yep. Yeah, and that is the kind of there's a threat. Yeah, there is a threat, and that's there's sort a of an inherently of like, like. Um, I remember when I first moved to London, and it was me and JJ Whitehead, Canadian bloke, and JJ's about six four, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, this big boy played uh, like college basketball. Yep. You know, so he's a strong lad. Excuse me. Lovely and we were man. on a train, and some guys were hassling a girl. And he was only young then as well. And I think he hadn't been in London that long. And both of us piped up at the same time while everyone was lifting their papers and just going, you know, she doesn't want to fucking know, mate. And usually the mate said in that way is like code. Yes. For. You know, you're not my mate. Something's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, of course. I keep forgetting I'm talking to an Aussie. <laughs> How funny is that? The same way as the South Africans say, my friend. And they're like, oh, you're not my friend. How's it? Yeah. How's it can be like, uh, that can be uh, neutral or how's it can be a problem. Yeah. And yeah, there's a certain level of base in mate. And. That's just a signal between guys that I'm going to do something about this. I'm not lifting my paper. So this has to stop or you and I are going. Yeah. And JJ did that too as well because he was foreign and a Canadian. But didn't really see anyone else doing jack shit about it, you know? Like someone getting hassled on a train. And that's strange to me as well because there's not, it's not like there's that many weapons or guns in London. Yeah. So what? What is the worst that can happen? What's is the fucking threat? Yep, punched cameras in the face. everywhere. 
I mean... Wow, look at this lady parking. And there's a guy pointing out her parking. <laughs> so this is, this is one of the things for me about kind of a feminism, I guess, is, or being a woman, is that it took me a while. Uh, one of the things that offends me about gender inequality or whatever, when it, when it comes in my way is, or even the idea of protecting women, all of that stuff, the thing that always sort of jumps to my head is I, I'm a person. Like, I'm, I am a per. Like, how am I not a person? Yeah, but I feel I, that's not just women I feel that way. It's like if there's a camp beta male. I mean, you know, I was fucking around before saying it's filled with fucking beta males. Um, you know it, that whole alpha and beta thing was done in an experiment with wolves? So the premise is that wolves form these kind of hierarchies if they are together. Yeah. So the strongest wolf becomes the alpha and the others uh, are subordinate to him. But that was a test that was done, an experiment that was done on wolves in captivity, not on wolves in the wild where they're actually much more collegiate. You still do have leaders and you know people are varying, uh, wolves are varying strength, but it's not actually... They're more cooperative or what? They're more co- much more cooperative. That's like the chimps in the wild. The nice chimps get laid as well by doing the girl's hair. You know I did not know that. So they 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 fuck her behind the alpha's back. I mean, there's something very attractive about a hairdresser. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're as attractive as other people, I guess. Uh, so I mean, the funny thing. Oh God, that's such a tell. I say funny thing too much. The weird thing. That's also uh, was when I was doing like dumb white guy live in Camden. And my director, Ro, goes, why don't you have an all-female panel? And I went, ugh. And he went, whoa, where the fuck's that from? And I said, because normally, the, you know, the show began with me talking to comics of different backgrounds, ethnicity and sexuality to talk about being a comic of different ethnicity, etc. And the reason I went, ugh, was like, there's nothing. Women are sick to death. Of the women in comedy question. There's nothing to see here. There's nothing for me to add. Um, and I just think I'm going to annoy people if I have a panel, or, you know, uh, uh, just a panel of nothing but women. And then just the fucking me too, just the reports came flooding in yeah. afterwards. And it was, I was already starting to have, you know, what I called like that paradigm shifted. Uh, around a lot of issue, issues, and I'm still probably what many people would call a centrist dad. You know, I'm going to call bullshit when I see it. But I remember I was in, I think we've discussed this on your show before. I was in Manchester, and there was a female comic on, Harriet Dyer, that's right, and she had a stalker. I should talk to her as well. She had a stalker, and she was frightened. And then, like, no one was walking her to her car afterwards. And... But she was genuinely frightened. This guy was freaking around. She'd have to say to him, you have to stop doing this. It's freaking me out a bit. And I thought, oh, that's really different. Because the worst thing that can happen to me, the worst is I could let a crazy girl blow me. And then she'd tell my wife. Yep. And then, and I've got a hand in every single step of that. And I thought, wow, that is really very different. It is a different, and it's a it's an it's an odd feeling to feel vulnerable when you are coming off stage because you've just had all of the power. Um, and also, a lot of women talk about being socially awkward, 
or, you know, can't meet the right man and you just get a sea of white knights. Well, yeah, you have that as well. And then you also have a, a phenomenon. Um, and it's not all stalkers, not, hashtag not all stalkers. But <laughs> there, there's a certain proportion of, of men, and in my instance it's mostly been men, um, where, where they are socially awkward people. And they have never really been able to sustain a conversation with a woman for an extended period of time. Is this so? So is this stand-up comedy fans? Is this stand-up comedy fans? So or t- just talk people? me through your average so this guy is, that's watched your set and has think it's chimed with you. Well, with so him. for the most part, people who watch my set, guys who watch my set, are just lovely. They're nice. If they're fans of mine, they're delightful. There's occasionally somebody who comes along, and. Um, they, in real life, in normal life, they're just uncomfortable in themselves. They're not good at articulating themselves. They cannot sustain a conversation with a woman for any extended period of time because, you know, they're awkward and the woman will make a polite excuse and leave. So the longest conversation they might have had with a stranger woman would be 20 minutes before she goes, oh, I've got to go, sorry, mate, or whatever, made some excuse. And so the hour that they spend with you is the longest conversation they've ever had with a woman. This is an insight that Laura Davis had, actually. So in in the normal course of a stand-up comedy show, particularly the kind that she does or the kind that I do, you, we, we are telling quite personal things. We're exposing ourselves. We're being vulnerable. We're being funny. We're being very charming. That's the whole point of comedy is to draw people in and engage them and, and make them feel things. And normally, if you're having a conversation to get that kind of intimacy out of someone, you would need to give a lot. And so for free, without having to overcome their difficulties in, in conversation, they are getting an hour of unadulterated woman. And at the end of that hour, that's the longest conversation they've ever had with a woman. Right. And, and then what happens? And then they are in love with you. <gasps> and then what happens? And then they show up to every gig or follow you places or, I mean, I don't, I don't put up on Instagram where I am until I've because I had someone come to a beach that I was at. Uh, because I posted that I was there. Yeah. So I, I no longer do that. I, I post the day after if I was in a place. Fucking hell. But then, of course, you, they know where you are because you've got gigs. And so they know where you will be in a, on an hour, on a day, in a place. And if you're in love with someone, you know, especially that kind of what they call limerence love, which is that obsessive love where you want to impress someone and, and, and seize them and possess them and and rather than kind of the generous love where you want to make them better and then make you better, it's a it's a that obsessive love. They just want to be there and, and impress you. Because the switch has flipped on that, hasn't it? Because it used to be that, uh, and I could never make it work, right, was that every romantic comedy involves the man suffering and the woman does some criminal behaviour. Mm-hmm. And now it's switched. And yeah. it's actually they're all like every romantic comedy is now about stalking. More or less, yeah. The idea that you can win somebody and, yeah. and, and possess them if you do something impressive enough or extravagant enough. And, you know, uh, often it will escalate. It'll be someone d- begins with a sweet gesture. And that, like, I like that. I really like that. It's very nice when a, a fan engages with you and says, you've given me something, I'd like to give you something. That's a fantastic thing. Um, and, and my kind of immediate urge is to go, I'm a p- the, because you've been on the, on this stage, on this pedestal or whatever it is, my immediate urge is to go. Well, I'm a person. You're a person. Just to equalise that relationship, to to, to you know, to find out about them, to to know that they are a human being as well, and to make them feel valued. 
Um, well, you must double down as well because you chuck a podcast on top of that. I, yeah, I do. And you are in their private moments. Yeah, weirdly. And I do almost feel a person. Well, you know what? There are people that listen to this show that I have a personal attachment to. Yeah, exactly. I think the podcast is different because it's more it's more nuanced than the, just the hour. So they kind of actually do know you a little better. They can't put you on a pedestal as much. You're not just this kind of shining figurine. Well, not only that, you're not building everything to crescendo. Yes, you're, you're not, not taking being them through. Twenty percent smarter, wittier, and you know yeah. more charming than you are. You're not. You're not doing a roller coaster with them and and giving them that thrill. So it's it's slightly different. Most of my podcast listeners are. are well, I don't think I've had a, a stalker off a, off the podcast yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you gave a flirty giggle at the end of that. <laughs> Chase me. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing. I once got heckled by a guy in the audience um, who uh, said, I'd rape you in, as a kind of a... Yeah, like a, as a heckle. As a heckle. And I was, I sort of went to town on him a little bit, sort of, why would you say that, you know? And at the end of it, he went, no, I don't want to now. <laughs> Which was hilarious because in that moment, I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh. I mean, but most did he of say me, it childishly? Like, I don't want to now. Yeah, basically. He oh, was that's into, even was, better. It was funny, but there was this moment of like, well, I don't want you to want to rape me, but also... You know, it's a it's a shame that I've lost your goodwill. Uh, but there, yeah, there was this slight part of my of my, you know, deepest darkest heart that was like, no, oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> when people drop their guards in the middle of something that could have been an altercation in comedy and allow both parties allow themselves to be vulnerable, it's never not funny. No, it's, it's never not funny. It is, uh, but also don't heckle. It's a bad idea. Uh, yeah, I once made a man eat a dry barocca on stage. What, because he heckled? Yeah, he heckled. He was in the front row. It was a gig in Canberra, of gig stories, sorry, but it was a gig in Canberra and I was very angry at the time. My mum was dying and I sort of resented doing this gig and I was the headliner. All four boys who'd gone before me had talked about how great it was to drink beer on stage as part of their job. Um, (laughs) And I don't drink, so I thought it would be funny. I saw you that week because Ben Elwood made you do Fuck Club and talk about it. Yes. It was like three days later or something. Yes, yes, yes. So I thought it would be funny to take a drive. It's like it's cathartic. Yeah. It's like, no, it's still happening. <laughs> Process things in real life, you fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah. So I I brought a can of Barocca, you know, a little tube of Barocca up on stage with me and put it in and drank a Barocca. I thought it would be sort of a funny comment on the boys with their beer. Um and then the the gig went as it went, and it's it was sort of a, one of those club gigs where it's a little bit combative, a bit of talking, and this guy in the front row kind of crossed the line and said, spread your legs for us. And so I, I said, get up, get up here. And he did, and I said, eat eat this dry barocca. And he did. And then it was sort of a different, completely turned a completely different gig because I was like, why? Because that's why? like the first rule, never give him the mic. Yeah, but I was like, why would you do that? It, I mean, why is a very? I mean, why would you eat a barocca just because I told you to? Yeah, but also like that always shuts everyone down. I remember Mary Burke said something about there was like one of the. It was when uh, rape jokes were all in. Like rape became the airline food ah. of nor- uh, naughty's comedy. I would say mm. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we've talked about this till we're blue in the face. In the UK, because so many Why things are taboo. Why is Rebel always so salty? <laughs> Why can't you lean your chair all the way back when you're raping? <laughs> Does anyone listen to the safety instructions? I mean, what good's a whistle going to do? I can't believe the parallels. <laughs> This is it. Now I'm thinking of the. <laughs> it actually works. Um, yeah, I'm going to get a lifeboat blowing on this whistle. Works both ways. Works both ways. Um, but I mean, it was like a catch all punchline for a bit of like kids going, and then a raider. And uh, uh. I used to always want to go, like, no, you didn't. Right? And uh, no, you didn't, though, did you? But Mary Burke told me a story that it was like some young lad giving the rapey, rape, 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 rape a thon. And just a, a middle-aged woman just looked him up and down and just, like, heckled him with, why are you doing this? And just, he fell apart, apparently. But why are you doing this? Shuts down. And you know what? Maybe six months ago, before I was, like, trying to step to the left and have my perspective changed, when, it, when there were a lot of things I heard that were on the fence that, and how this all began when I realized, like, fuck, I've been brainwashed, was when the Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein thing came out. And somewhere in my head, I went, well, what's a fat, ugly guy got to do to get laid then? And then, but immediately, because I'd done everything we'd done with Race Off in this show, and I just turned to my wife and went, whoa, what the fuck is that? Where'd that come from? And she was like, and it's actually taken her a bit of a while to get over that, that, that thought's even in my head. Because at some point it's like, fuck, I'm married to a demon. I'm married to I'm married to a demon that is doing its best to fight off like the weirdest of urges. So of like let me put it this way, if I'm jerking off to porn and someone pops up that I don't like, um I've got a very long bit now about like just how ugly porn has become. And I'm glad to see that a lot of guys agree with me. Guys are actually really going along going, yeah, I fucking hate anal. <laughs> like, you know what? And it just seems to be that and the choking thing seems to be like, when did that become the neutral position of our fantasies? The threat of vomit and shit. And, uh, uh, but at the same time, I know full well that if I'm jerking off and something pops up in porn that I don't like, I've never stopped. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I know full well that a woman can find herself in the middle of, uh, like, masturbating or even sex and the mood leaves her. Yes. No bloke has ever started and not finished, ever. Um, and so I'm saying that uh, I segued somewhere weird there. Well, you're starting with the Harvey Weinstein thing, which I'm going to oh, oh, yes. pick you up so on in a minute. six months ago. So when, if my guard was up and I was hearing all these uh, stories that were on the fence of just guys trying to get laid, like I read like a Facebook update from like uh, a female comic saying, listen, if I'm into you, I'll let you know. Until then, don't ask me out. And I'm like, fuck you. But then, when you elaborate like this, and you say, no, 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 I mean I report I'm going to the beach and a guy turns up. Yeah. 
So here's, here's just to flip the Weinstein thing on his head. So say there is a, a lady who is um, physically unattractive in the way that Harvey Weinstein is sort of yeah. generally considered to be. Well, almost goes out of his way. Yeah. Looks so, like a fucking troll. And what, he lives in the land of public, you know, plastic surgery. Yeah, but... Like putting his looks aside, if if there were a woman in the equivalent sort of physical position comparative to the rest of the population, what would you say that she should do if she wants to get laid? Like what are her options? Yes. Like she doesn't – like would you say get into a lot of power and then lure young interns into your room and – Well, yeah. Well, yeah, I would. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you're egalitarian. (laughs) I totally would. Yeah, that's – yeah, yeah, that actually – yeah. But the thing is (laughs) he obviously didn't want people to want him. No. And i got a very long bit now about the difference between want and let. But the thing is guys don't understand that no matter how much power you get, no matter how much money you get, no matter how much success you get, that doesn't make you hot. No. You have to be charming to have someone let you. But no one wants to. No, no one wants to. No one walks across a room in a pub. But I like, think that's where that kind of idea of, of the masculine desire to dominate sort of feeds into that, which is that it is not necessary for Weinstein to be satisfied. Um, he doesn't need the woman to like him. In fact, no. he just wants her no, to he's submit. A bitter... In fact, it's better if she doesn't like him and that's submits right. to him because that's then he I mean. gets that sense he goes of, out of his way victory not to be hot. and triumph. And... Yeah, you realise he's a, just a total piece of shit and has even created a mystique around himself of a bully. And he loves, you know, everyone laughs about those ha-ha Harvey stories of him fucking screaming down phones and going, you'll never fucking work in this town again. And yet look how quickly that cunt fell apart. Look at what a wuss he was on TMZ. Yeah. I've always been a nice guy, remember? I'm trying to get help. I'm really sorry. And he was just a pathetic wretch. And I mean, that's sort of the nature of all bullies. There is a female uh, version of that, um, yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, less, there, it's less deeply unpleasant. It, but it is unpleasant when you see it, which is the, the woman who will um, uh, want men to want her, even if she's not interested in them. And will do all that she can to get them to pursue her. Yeah, but you're right. He doesn't want people to want him. No. He definitely had a thing going about it being against their will and it being unpleasant. Yes. and I Look don't, at me showering. I don't and, even think that's on the cards for the vast majority of women. Yeah, he it's went out even, of his way to be unattractive. Yeah. He, like, sat down in a beautician's chair and said, can you give me the troll under a bridge look? <laughs> I want to look like – I want my cheeks to look like SpongeBob fucking square pants. And, uh, yeah, I think I'll, like, be a bit dishevelled. <laughs> like, he didn't even have, like, good growth. He had shitty growth. And it just, it, he lives in the land of grooming. And it was just, no, I really want someone well, to, to a certain extent, that can be not a enjoy of... me coming into a pot plant. I mean... <laughs> like, what a fucking animal. I mean, that can be a display of, of power as well, that you don't have to bother uh, with how you look. That's the, that's the wearing shorts to a meeting. That is why it's so foreign to us guys that a guy masturbating is scary because we know that that's a guy leading with a chin and he's not ready for a headbutt. A guy jerking off has never been scary to us except maybe when we were kids. This is one thing that I was thinking about. One of the things that the trade-off that women have had to make through history, right? I'm going to get really sort of nerdy here. No, it's okay. And I may have said this before on on my podcast, but your podcast listeners won't have heard it. Um, for, For most of human history, it was a choice for women. You would go with the strongest man because he would protect you from the other men. Yep. Nowadays we have the police, you have CCTV cameras, you have the law, 
all of these structures of civilization mean that you no longer need to make that choice. Gotcha. Uh, That's a huge trade-off. That is. It, I mean, it. It might not it might not necessarily always have been, but also the other thing that's interesting is that for most of human history, um, particularly in the West, um, most women would have been working most of the time. The amount of time and effort it took to cook, to clean, yep. to stop everyone around you from dying of exposure, to darn holes in things. You know, if you didn't keep something clean, people would die. If you didn't, you know, if yep. you, it would take hours to do all of that stuff. Um, you needed a, like a, just a, a bit of a dab hand in everything, and that was the baseline. You would seamstress, been, medicine, and that was the baseline on which all civilization was built. That work, that fundamental work, that was given at, to women because either they were weaker or they're more suited to that, or whatever, whatever way you want to play that, women would have been doing that stuff all the time, and that gave men time to think, and you know, argue and have war and do all of the stuff. And occasionally someone would come along and try and kill you and then he would save your life. And in payment for that, you would do all of this work. So keeping alive was like incredibly grinding, laborious, 24-hour work. And in exchange, occasionally someone would come along with an axe and your guy would pull out his axe. So it's life for life, but the amount of time that you had to spend as a man would have been just like hanging out, practicing your acts, chatting with your mates, you know, doing philosophy, what have you. And so at one point it was a fairly fair trade. And then that trade stopped needing to be made. But men still expected women to hold that baseline position. Right to keep everything sort of flowing smoothly on under the surface and there's a lot of fixing, a lot of fiddling, a lot of, you know, small mediocre tasks that don't seem important but if they're not done, everything falls to pieces. And that, that, that's like gender politics, historically speaking. Yes. And there's the echoes of that and the, the shadows of that. And echoes of that in everything that we do. That is true. Like even, like, my wife and I had a, like a long show about this, the fact that she's more successful than I am now. Uh-huh. She earns more money than I do. And she actually had to as 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 you know, as as feminist as she wants to call herself, as you know, as much as she attacks gender roles, she's like, Fuck. I'm still fighting yeah. something within me about that. And you seem too comfortable with it. And that's also <laughs> because look, I'm older and the fact of the matter is I know it's peaks and troughs. Mm. You know? And that's not always going to be the same. Yeah, the nature of a well, I mean, nature of marriage is that it's looking after each other as. But also career-wise, if you're both in the entertainment industry, she's got heat right now. Yeah. And uh, that's not always going to be there. No. And you know, someone that just keeps working as hard as I do, producing as much stuff as I do, it just it comes and goes, comes and goes, and. So that's why I didn't get as well. First of all, I've never been a jealous, envious person, and I don't really look at because also I know how hard she worked. So there's no part of me that feels jealous. Yeah, I'm just proud of her. Yeah, you know, I'm just proud of her and happy for her. But she said she had to suck it up a bit. Yeah, of like, fuck, I earn more money than this guy now. Yeah. And then she had to have a bit of a look at that and like, what the fuck's that about? She had to have her own yeah, kind of why Weinstein do I feel thing. This way? What the fuck is that? 
why do I feel it's the normal and correct way of things that the man should be earning more than the woman? Yeah. And, you know, and I'm very heartened by going on the road and doing material about this. And, it, you know, and it because it would appear the worst of us are the most visible right now. And also, everyone wants to get the weakest counter argument to their what they believe, so that there's holes yeah, water. There's, there's all straw manning and no steel manning. There's yeah. no one going in with that. No, let me let me see what you, your argument would look like. It's like a it's like a, a tower of cards versus a tower of Jenga. With a tower of cards, your object is to pull out the weakest card. The whole thing falls down. That's how everyone's approaching arguments now. Whereas with a Jenga, you go, okay, I don't agree with that. I can pull it out. Does it still stand? I don't agree with that. I can pull it out. Does your argument still stand? That's like a much more generous way to approach an argument. To, like, to, rather than to pick the one word or the one phrase or the one opinion that pulls it all to pieces, like your unraveling sweater, to think, think of it as a, as a Jenga tower. Like pull out the bits that you don't like and that you do disagree with. I disagree yeah. with that. I disagree with that. That is a good point. Fuck. You yeah. just put a bit of mine better than I have again. <laughs> Fuck! Does it threaten your masculinity, Brendan? Does it threaten no. you? <laughs> no, not at all. I am actually like uh, just thinking, ah, shit, yeah, that's that's it. That's the puzzle. And the bit I've been doing is basically saying, as guys, we uh, take something ludicrous uh, a 13-year-old girl poses on Twitter in the name of feminism. And then go, see, there's, there's, that's what they reckon. Yep. And now, I've, you know, that's my version of objectivity. I've checked with me. Yep. And. Yeah, because there are, of course, there are ridiculous people on every side of every argument. Yeah. And yet you go, like, that's why I'm so hardened when I go on the road and everyone else is really reasonable and nuanced. And actually, you know, what women want from this situation is perfectly, you know, acceptable and reasonable and fair and a natural fact of you to ask yourself, you know, 90% of people, no, people actually generally agree. Yeah. You know, it just seems that we, uh, uh, like I said, the worst of us are the most visible right now. Like men's rights activists and hardcore feminists agree on so many things if you look at their arguments the idea that it's unfair to require a man to pay you know extortionate child support fees if he's been tricked into making a woman pregnant or if you know that he should pay for the woman's support after she's left him i mean that's that's about deconstructing gender roles that's feminism 101 yeah, yeah. all of these sort of elements that that it shouldn't be assumed that the woman will be will take care of the children the man should also get a chance again feminism like they agree on so many things and yet they are violent against one another it's, it's funny like everything you're saying is great and so clever and well put and it's still at the same same time I'm struggling with the thought at the back of my mind that I can talk no no <laughs> you know I've written jokes in this that I'm more scared that I was more scared of uh, telling to strangers than I was the racial stuff have you dropped the G in mansplaining because you don't believe in the G spot ah, pussy <laughs> <laughs> That's my contribution to tea with Alice. Yep. Aristotle, I think. I, uh, was it Aristotle or Plato? One of them be- believed that men and women have different number of teeth, which is one of those fa- facts that you could just... Just, yeah. You, that's what I mean with the perspective of just step to the slightly to the left. You, yep. And I don't mean like uh, socio-politically. I mean just take a step outside yourself and just have a bit of a look. 
And all I did was like, uh, Bean suggested to me, that's my wife's nickname, um, is treated like when you're interviewing an Indigenous person. And the analogy I made was... Deeply awkwardly? No, it's I treat it like... Uh, I mean, deeply awkwardly to begin with. Yeah. But now it's more like... Say if, as a guy, you only knew that there was an equatable amount of erections in the world and sexual karma was a real thing. And say if you then found out... Because I grew up in Australia in the 80s, in a coastal city. It was fucking awesome. It was awesome. You know, when I look back at it, I had sun, you know, long sunsets. I got laid on the beach. Pot was everywhere. You know, um, even people that cried poor lived a stone throw from the beach. You know, I had friends that were on the dole that that had a five-bedroom house, a stone throw from the beach. And when you find out that someone paid the price for that, it's a bit like, say, you found out there's a sexual karma. And then, the, say, if you found out. Right. If you found out that the, the, the luckiest night you had sexually as a guy, that you managed to pick up two bisexual girls and you fucking went at it all night, right, all night, and you put on your best performance ever, you had a good five-hour stroking at it, right? And then you found out that actually in order for you to do that, karmically, some guy somewhere in the world couldn't get it up on his wedding night. All I'm saying is when you meet that guy, you're just a little bit, you don't open with, hey, mate, what the fuck was up with your cock on your wedding night? <laughs> yep. And so you feel that way about gender as well, to a certain extent? I'm now trying to broach it like that. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's pretty... That it's there's not- shit that's geared towards me that, like, the way that, like... Like, look at Shawshank Redemption, right? We are not, like, as men... Like we romanticize the idea, the, every guy, Shawshank Redemption's in their top five favorite films, easily, right? And right about now, we should be really rooting for women. Like when, when rapists are getting busted, we yeah. should be going, fuck yeah, right? But because every guy romanticizes the, the, the notion of the wrongfully accused man. Yes. Right? And when the sisters in Shawshank Redemption get their com- comeuppance, the guys that rape him over a period of like a year, yeah. Right. As guys, there's no part of us. No part of us. When the 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 captain he wins over the captain and the and the guards beat the shit out of the the sisters as they're called the rapists. Uh, there's no part of us that goes like, oh what, we can't go in the fucking pool anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there is, a, I mean, just in terms of that, you know, every great sex you have, someone else has a terrible time. Look at uh, Twitter. There's a hashtag. Um, a, a, I can't even remember what the hashtag is, but it's it's people thanking their wives at the beginning of books and you read these things they're they're, they're, they're video they're, they're you know pictures of these thank you notes to their wives where it's like you know I'd like to thank my wife you know often not named I'd like to thank my wife who'd transcribed this book nine times by hand and you know did all my footnotes and did a huge amount of the research for this book and but he's the one whose name is on the book her name is not on the book so you know a lot of the times I mean, not all times. No one else's name is on the book, though. No one else's name is on the book, but it's his his name that's on the book. And she did as much or more work. No, she didn't do as much work. You don't reckon? Look I've at written the, a look, book. Look at some. Look I've at some of these. I've written a book and look at some of I these. Thank thank my wife. I thank my wife, and I. She did not do as much work as I did. I'm, while not, I wrote I'm a book. not saying that your wife did as much work. I'm saying that in some of these thank yous, the amount of work that the the woman did. 
Completely unpaid. To be honest, completely ungratified. It's because of how much work goes into a book. It's actually uh, that you, your partner, any author, their partner gets you. Basically, it's the women thank the guys too as well, right? I'm gonna have to call bullshit there because it's you neglect your partner when you're writing a book. Yeah, I'm, I, and I'm saying in the modern world that that is fine. I'm saying also read some of these because it's not just neglecting your partner. These are women who did 50% of the work on the book. You think? Yeah. Well, well if, if if you read some of these transcripts, it's, it is. They're saying, you know, she did the research or Fair she enough. organized my notes or she rewrote it by hand or she, you know, all of that stuff or she, you know, organized my all of my interviews or, or whatever it happens to be. And it's just thanks, thanks to her for doing that. She doesn't get a name as the co-author. Okay. Even- Have you ever experienced this? That uh, do when you're dating a guy, does he appropriate your expertise? Yes. Does he? Yeah. Because women do that. Yeah. Definitely. If you're dating someone, they start telling you about your work, and just by like they adopt whatever you have learned over decades by not proxy. What's the word? By association. And you're like going, wait a minute, you know what? I'm not like, <laughs> okay. when we fuck, it's not the Matrix. I'm not <laughs> plugging information into you. <laughs> well, I mean. The, and vice versa. I'm going to put that aside. I will send you a link to these to these tweets because I understand your immediate reaction. Having written a book, having had a relationship, but this is just one of those ones where you look at it and it is not. Oh, that's why it's so personal. Is that's I understand why our guard is up. Is for some reason, and again, I'm going to have to leave it, leave you with this, but yeah. I will finish with something where I, I'll, I'll, I'll finish how I started, which was, forgive me if it sounds like shtick, um, but I will talk shit about white people until the cows come home. But for some reason, and I don't know why, and I'm trying to undo that brainwashing right now, is when I hear in uh, the news, in the media, in social media, when I hear women go, men do this, men do that, for some reason I hear Brendan. Yeah. And that's why we are that defensive, is for some reason it's, it's a deeper social preconditioning. Well, because so we you hear don't broader want statements, to be but like you say anything about fucking, don't get me fucking started on white people. Yeah. You know, and I will not think you're talking about me. I fucking bitch about British people all the time around the house. Uh, and my wife is English as, and she never thinks I'm talking about her. But you chuck gender into it, and both our guards get up. But. You travel the length and breadth of this tiny island or you travel around this world and you see nothing but couples getting along. Yeah. You see we are getting along, but we are at war in... In a meta way. In our representations. In our, yeah, in our, in our sense of ourselves. Because it is one of those things that is so inextricable from your sense of yourself, your gender, which is one of the reasons why the whole trans rights movement is so passionate and, and furious and vitriolic. You, you, it's very hard to think of yourself just as a human. It's the first one that you learn of, about yourself as a human. Before MF. you learn what religion you are, MF. before you learn what, yeah. you know, what ethnicity or what nationality. It's the first or, box you tick on any census. Yeah, it's... it's it has some has to do with your identity in a deeper way than your national identity or your your skin color even i think and and that's why it's it's hard to take a step aside and look at it objectively but i will send you that link also read antonia fraser's the weaker sex it's oh i'm good. so slow at reading though 
I'll send you the audio book link. It's, it, it, we can tell, Brendan. <laughs> it's just, my recall's very good, but it's uh, the ADHD doesn't help. I then end up having ideas and going off and writing myself. I was so relieved, though, recently when I spoke to Robin Ince, and he went, I, I haven't finished a book in... I went, What? But you're the book guy. I got a Kindle for Christmas and it's the worst thing that's happened to me. I bought 35 books. And never finished any of them? I've read all of them. The, this is the problem. I'm See, not you're very, so smart. I've got to write a new show, Brendan. I you're shouldn't fancy be book learning, Alice Fraser. Terrible fantasy novels. Guys, check out Tea with Alice. And, uh, your uh, Twitter handle is... Uh, at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. People listening, uh, check out Brendan Burns' podcast, Dumb White Guy. And your Twitter handle is... Uh, it is Brendon Burns. Brendon with an O. B-R-E-N-D-O-N-B-U-R-N. And in particular, check out Big Brennan Little. There's a, bu- a bunch of series on that dumb white guy uh, series. Closing the Chasm with myself and Craig Quartermain and Big Brennan and Little Luke's Outback Adventures, where my son and I go on a race against time across the Australian Outback. All right, do it. Thank dumb you so guy. much. See you with Alice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye.